Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generation with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today we're talking about maturity, really accelerating maturity, and it's a conversation, actually a topic that you wrote a book on even a few years yeah. ago and you've been talking about for a really long time. Yeah, so far too often I think we mistake academic learning and smarts yep. with maturation and it's not. There's many terribly gifted people on a stage or on a field somewhere that aren't mature. We yeah. cannot mistake maturity with giftedness. So the book I wrote, um, and it was quite a few years ago, well, it's a few years ago. Yeah. It's a book I'm holding in my hand right now, Artificial Maturity, um, helping kids meet the challenge of becoming authentic adults. I'm reminded of it because I just got an email, even though the book is some years old, yeah. from an 18-year-old teenager who um, just read the book, <laughs> I or love she that. was reading the book. So. I love it, because you wrote that to parents and That's right. leaders yeah. of all kinds, but this 18-year-old picked it up. I wrote it about 18-year-olds for the, you know, yes. and that, now there's nothing derogatory in it, but I, I want to read part of that note she wrote me, because I think it sets up this conversation so well. So she says, hi, Mr. Elmore. Uh, I am currently reading your awesome book, Artificial Maturity. She said, I just graduated high school yesterday, <laughs> and I plan to go to a four-year university this fall. The things which led me to read your book was a constant and unavoidable desire to be mature. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So let me push pause there and say how cool it is for a teenager among millions of peers that would go, hey, I just want to stay a kid. Yeah. Uh, my best days are behind me, you know, yep. that sort of thing. Yep. And for her to say, I really don't think where I am at 18 is where I should be in terms of my perhaps emotional maturity or, or, or um, intellectual this maturity. This is a wise kid already yeah, at 18. Really yeah. So she goes on to talk about why this was a challenge. And I'm not going to share her name because some of the challenges were in her own home. Yeah. She said, my parents really don't want or need me to get a job. And she said, I realize that may feel awesome, but I feel like I would be growing if I got a job. Yeah, we've talked about that on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and again, I don't think there's a right or wrong, but folks listening, there's nothing like having a job and owning the shift that I have at that workplace and working for it eight hours and realizing, oh my gosh, this is hard. All of that just makes us mature. Absolutely. And it has very little to do with our IQ, has a lot to do with our EQ. Um, she said, she goes on, I'm going to keep reading here. Recently, I've been feeling immature and a need that I should be more mature as I'm 18. Yeah. Now, that's another thing I thought that was cool. So often, 18 years ago, I'm not an adult yet, yep. but she's going back to that traditional definition, right or wrong, I should be more mature. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm 18. So she said, I've talked to my online friends, and many of them, them don't feel mature either. They know there's something missing in their maturation um, and she says, I feel like I open up with my family, but not so much with my friends. They don't want me to open up with my friends. And so there's all kind of, I think, unwitting and maybe even mistaken moves that these moms and dads were making that don't realize they were even hindering maturity. Absolutely. And in some ways, um, as this is actually one of my favorite books that you've uh, ever written, it's, I think it's uh, underrated by a lot of people. But um, as you say in this book, it, this is really that term artificial maturity may sound derogatory, but really what you're trying to do is yeah. capture the moment in history where yeah. we find ourselves with kids who look like they're really far, and yeah. in a lot of ways they are, but often aren't actually that way. So that's exactly right. It, the title does feel very derogatory, and yet if you read the book, you realize he's not 
mad at the kids at all. In fact, if anything, he's seen saying, hey, grownups, we yeah. need to help these kids yeah. do the healthy, authentic maturing that they need to do. So the last piece in this note I want to read before we move on, uh, she says, I kind of know that this urge to be mature is normal because of the lifestyle I have. So she admits, I'm a part of this culture that mm-hmm. you talk about in this, in this book. Um, I feel I'm not the only one wanting to be mature. My friends are too. Can you, uh, she said, and she closed it by saying, can you recommend some steps that I take? And in the book, I actually have a list of here are the marks of maturity. And and she wrote me back and said, thanks and so forth. But we want to talk today, listeners, about what are the realities at work that prevent authentic maturity? And are there things we can do, things is not the right word, are there actions we can take as leaders to really help them move from artificial to authentic maturity? Absolutely. So I think it starts with it starts with a couple of things. Uh, one is the realization that there are, uh, if you're an adult working with a kid, whether you're a teacher or a parent or a coach or whomever, there are things that are happening to cause this phenomenon that are in your control and things that are happening that are out of your control. Yeah. And for that out of your control, I would say that the students are facing what we would call strong cultural headwinds. Yes, I love that that terminology. um, That have stunted social and emotional development. And you talk about the two kind of simultaneous realities of the 21st century. So I'd like for us to start there as far as what's the cultural or the outside factor that's coming in that's causing this. And then we can talk about what are we doing that's perpetuating it as well. Yeah, good. Okay, so the cultural headwinds that we have little control of Uh, or something I began to hypothesize about about a decade ago. It seemed like I was observing, even back in 2011, 2012, um, that kids today are overexposed to information Mm -hmm. far earlier than they're even ready. Yeah. And then at the same time, kids are underexposed to firsthand experiences, perhaps later than they're really ready. Yes. So if you look at uh, maybe a teenager 100 years ago or even 120 years ago, they were working the farm. In fact, they got work experience, maybe more than school experience in some of those cases. But boy, that generation had common sense. In fact, they had natural wisdom that came from trying out my talent, trying out my strength, trying out my wit, and finding, ooh, I'm falling short there, I'm doing well there. So this underexposure, overexposure together is what gives a problem. Certainly neither one are, are, are criminal or evil nope. in themselves, but boy, when I get a lot of information that I don't apply, I, I can get into trouble. Yeah, oh, and even a lot of information that my brain's not ready for. <laughs> yeah, so it's like right. an increasing onslaught, and I really would use the word onslaught, especially when you do focus groups with this yeah. age group, they'll tell you it's just so overwhelming, whether it's the information that shows up when I do a Google search or the memes that I'm trying to keep up with or the social posts that I'm trying to make sure I like so I don't get in trouble yeah. from my friends or all those things. That's all the information that's coming at me. And at the same time, there's this phenomenon. This is the piece that's really in our control as adults is we are removing those firsthand experiences. So my world is becoming increasingly artificial as uh, information is coming at me and experiences are going away from me uh, at the same time. And of course, it produces a student who who appears highly intelligent. In fact, they are. These kids are some of the smartest kids on record, but who often seem to lack basic social skills and even common sense, right? Common sense seems to be a topic that's coming up a lot today. And I think a big reason for that is it feels like it's missing today yeah. in our world of ubiquitous information. So a good example of this might be there's a 10-year-old fifth-grade math student that's doing really well, not just math student, student that's doing really well in math or literature or whatever, and you go, oh, my gosh, what a mature kid. Ah, wrong adjective. Yes. Maybe, maybe yes. wrong adjective. He may be very good cognitively or academically, 
But that same kid, and we hear this all the time, may be lacking executive functioning skills. We hear the teachers say this all the time. We know these kids are great, but why are they lacking some basic life skills in their life? Well, it's because mom and dad might both be busy with jobs and teachers are teaching reading, writing, arithmetic to get the test scores up and we're somehow missing this piece that actually matures the Mm, student. I love that. So ancient culture, Andrew, this is something you and I probably geek over way too much. We're we're nerds. Yeah, we are. We are. We admit it. We're part of the 12-step program for nerds. (laughs) So (laughs) thank you for laughing at that. Um, So ancient cultures and languages actually pinpoint this issue with some of the words and vernacular that they use. Yeah, better than we do in English. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the English is, is a, it's my language, but yeah. it often lacks words. Like, for instance, we have one word for love. Yeah. I love Coke. I love my wife. Well, so, surely those should be those two different words. Those are a little bit different, yeah, yes. Yeah. But but other languages might be like some of the um, the romantic languages. Yeah. I'd have many words for that. Yes. So um, in the ancient Greek language, which is different than modern Greek, there were two words for knowledge that are mm. very enlightening here. Yeah. Uh, no pun intended there. Um, the word gnosko and epigonosko. So these, those are transliterated into English. Yes. Gnosko and epigonosko. So the first word, gnosko, simply means to be informed or to be aware. Mm. It's where we get a word gnostic or yeah. gnosticism. Okay? Yeah. These are people that love knowledge. Yes. All right? But the second one meant, quote, to fully understand through experience. Yes. And we all know there's a huge difference between knowing something up here in our head and knowing something through through experience. Yes. It's a difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. It's the lecture versus the laugh, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. So we can say, I know uh, that celebrity, and that means something different than I know about yes. that celebrity. Yes. So we think that students, what we're pr- propositioning here to listeners, is that students know a lot about stuff because they're they got Google and and Alexa and Siri and YouTube. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that addition. I You're appreciate welcome. that. But but they don't have some of the experiences. And why don't they? We adults sometimes prevent them from having them. We say, like that note I got from that student, my parents don't want me to have a job. They want me to focus on academics. Well, I understand that, but that might be preventing the very maturation that this young girl wants in her life. Um, I, love, I love what Herbert Simon said, a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. Yes. So our yes. attention spans are shorter. We've unwittingly created a society where information is so prevalent that kids can become satisfied with gnosko yep. instead of epigonosko. So yeah. we've kind of talked about this and we've danced around it, but I think in some ways the sort of theme of the book itself is kind of these two realities that have happened because of all the things that we've talked yeah, about. Yeah. Two things are at play at the same time, which is what why we would call it artificial maturity. So you want to talk about those two things? Yeah, I do. Uh, Before I do, real quick, let me set up those two thoughts by saying this. In all fairness to our society, which I do not think is all bad, our culture both enables and disables maturation. Mm -hmm. It enables it in that it does have lots of information. A kid today has knows way more than I did yep. when I was and a kid. And that is a form that, of maturity. Yeah, that is. To know is, is really good. So I'm not against information or knowledge. But it disables it when, uh, you know, they only get the smart device and they're satisfied, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, and, and, and I now have parents that are fearful of letting me do that risky thing or that scary thing because yeah. I might skin my knee, break my arm, or whatever. And those are all legitimate, but I just think they hinder 
what maturation really does. We, we get content then without context. Context is the application. Absolutely. So, Andrew, you were asking a question. Pardon me. So let me get no, back to right. the answer here. I think I see something on the horizon, and I don't claim to be a prophet or a futurist. But here's what I see on the horizon. It's not here, but it's coming if we don't make some shifts in the way we teach, parent, coach, and employ the, this next generation. Number one, the extinction of childlikeness. Mm. And number two, the extension of childishness. Yeah. Now, let me comment, and I want to hear your thoughts, because you may say I see it a little differently. So the extinction of childlikeness is... Kids today at younger ages lose their sense of wonder, yeah. their sense of innocence, and their sense of trust. Yeah. Uh, they get a little jaded by third grade. Yeah. Uh, they don't like school. They don't like this. They don't like that. They, they don't believe in Santa Claus, and maybe you don't either, listeners. But, you know, it's like we don't even have that sense of innocence. I love it when I see parents that say, I want to maintain that as long as possible because Lord knows they're going to lose that for the rest of their lives when they go out into this very cynical, jaded, skeptical world. So that's the childlikeness. I think there's something good about keeping a childlikeness even into our adult life, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not childish, but yeah. childlike, where we continue to trust people. Not, not in a stupid way, but we're not afraid to trust. Yeah. Uh, that, that just makes for good relationships. Now, here's what I think leads to the extension of childishness. Um, first of all, what this means is kids often lose their ambition to enter adult responsibility because they so love the kid world that they've been in. Mm-hmm. Um, you've heard me say this. I've had three, maybe more, university deans tell me 26 is the new 18. Yeah. You know, where I just don't expect what I used to expect at an 18-year-old. So they're wanting to hold on to being more. I've met young ladies, maybe you have too, that said, I, I married a, I'm a, I'm a, video game widow, mm-hmm. meaning I married somebody that's 27 years old, but they're still into Fortnite and Halo and Grand Theft Auto. And yeah. So they've not really matured. So Yeah. And of course, there's nothing wrong with playing a video game or, or whatever. Yeah. But I think instead, it's about how do you carry yourself? How do you handle those situations? I have long um, sort of described the the impact that growing up in a digital world, a social media world, a Google-filled world, uh, the the effect that it's having on young kids today is almost making them, um, we, we use the term savvy, right? Yeah, yes. But I think oftentimes yeah. what goes along with savvy is the word hard. They're emotionally yeah. hard, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, afraid of of being vulnerable, of displaying emotion, of, of showing empathy, of connecting with one another, because that savviness leads them to believe that the ultimate kind of goal of life is to be always informed, always cool yeah. and above the fray, yeah. right? Yeah. And so the idea of exposing yourself or opening yourself to somebody else, yeah. uh, it doesn't play well in the digital world. Yeah. So I tend to not practice that in the physical world. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what you're talking about. It's uh, childishness is I maintain those selfish attributes well into yeah. adulthood. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, I lose that sort of soft openness that mm-hmm. I think a lot of children yeah. uh, have. And in and, and a lot of ways, it's a pretty dangerous uh, recipe. So, Okay, so uh, let's kind of get down to what do we do with this. The fact is, I believe our culture um, is both... Kids today in our culture are both advanced and behind. Yes. And here's why I say that. When educational experts, people that teach education, measure growth, they usually measure four categories, Mm. okay? Uh, Cognitive growth, biological growth, 
social growth and emotional growth. Mm. And Andrew, I believe I am seeing, and we are seeing, that kids today are cognitively advanced. Yes. They have consumed more information and they seem to be able to process more yep. than ever before. Yep. They're biologically advanced. Yep. They're growing bigger and stronger. The athletes are better. They're breaking records. Kids yeah. are going through puberty even sooner. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's just amazing. Girls and boys, yep. you just figure out what I'm saying here. It's just amazing. But then that social and emotional piece, they're actually behind. Mm. So you can see a kid on any given day and say, oh, my gosh, they're so savvy and ahead. Well, they are in two categories, but they're behind in, in two others, yes, perhaps. Yes. And that's where I think we need to be fair with them. Yep. Of course we love them. Of course we believe in them. And, of course, we want to f- foster and fan into flame where they're ahead. But we need to shore up, perhaps, where they're behind. And that's what this is about. Absolutely. We see those um, those ahead places, and we assume, well, because they're cognitively advanced, that means they're mature. Yeah. But really what we're trying to say is they are artificially mature, meaning they're mature in some areas but lacking in others. And so it creates this false assumption, which also uh, often leads us to disappointment. Yeah. Like, how did that really smart kid make such a dumb decision? Yeah. Well, Artificial maturity, right? Yeah, that's how did exactly the, right. how did this happen? So, um, so I think we need to probably get towards some of the yes, practical things. And yeah. really, the thesis of our time together is not just that this exists, but actually that the way to accelerate maturity, real true maturity, is to begin talking about social and emotional skills, which is you can see why because those are the areas in which they're behind. So, two big ideas before we close out, listeners, um, and these are ideas perhaps that might not feel like they're um, amazingly new. But we feel like these two steps will move the ball forward in authentic maturity. Addressing this issue. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So number one is we've got to value social-emotional growth as much as we do academic achievement. Yes. Most people go, oh, of course I do. But look at our schools. Even listen to the conversations in our home. We're put, did you do a homework? What grade did you make? What? Yep. And they're getting signals, well, the whole thing you're interested in is my grades and my academic achievement, and they may be terribly immature, and we know it's true, but somehow that's the only report card we have. So um, more often, schools are offering courses on social-emotional learning, but um, the data is showing that students who build these SEL skills actually not only do better academically, so you actually get both, but they actually become more whole individuals once they graduate. So um, we just believe that, um, like some of the time we're, we're, well, we're seeing um, a bunch of schools use our habitudes for social emotional learning in advisement period, and they're actually addressing this as often as they are perhaps some of the academic courses as well. Yeah, so I actually, before we move on to that second one, I want you to read a letter that you got a couple of years ago um, it was from an eighth grade teacher who really unlocked and uncovered what this looked like in the classroom. And it's a, a pretty fantastic example of what it looks like to have a classroom in which you value social and emotional growth um, as much as you would value cognitive growth. So uh, would you read that? So, yeah, this is a letter that I got from Wes Blake, who's a middle school teacher in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I'll just read what he said. He said, the sense of pride I have in the eighth grade math class today has left me speechless. And then he put ellipses, literally. I love that. Uh, Their algebra class, quote unquote, started 17 minutes ago, and I haven't said a word. I love that. Yeah. Uh, They all came in, goofed around for about two or three minutes as they got their stuff out and got in their seats, and then it happened. They just started working on their own. The students are even on different lessons because some have chosen to work ahead, but they're still working together. 
I heard one student encouraging another student as she helped her do her work, and she was saying things like, it's okay, just take your time and you'll get it. Let's try again. I, I mean, that, that sounds like a teacher. I know. Um, two other girls are helping out one of the guys in the class, and another student has become the unofficial DJ of the class playing music that they all agree on, and they're actually keeping it at a reasonable level, which is another feat for middle school Indeed. students. At this point, they have all finished today's lesson and are taking our school service dog, Scout, for a walk outside. I'm amazed at their initiative. How do you describe what this group of eighth graders displayed today in class? Uh, independence, work ethic, encouraging others, intrinsic motivation, responsibility, cohesiveness, and then he capitalized the word leaders because he knew I would love seeing that word leaders. And indeed we do. Yes. Here's the best part of their leadership today. It brings out a better me as a teacher. Their leadership is contagious. I'm not going to say a word for as long as I can, so they don't, as long as they don't need me to. But I can't wait until the end of class until I can praise them for it. I'm a better teacher after today because of the leaders my students are becoming. West Blake, Cincinnati, Ohio. I love that. Isn't that the dream of every teacher? Yeah. But that, that's not because they're just smart. Some of the kids weren't getting the math thing, yeah. but they were getting social-emotional learning better. As long as we view these things in competition with one another, you can't arrive there, yeah, right? that's right. What he realized was that social and emotional growth leads to better academic performance and engagement with the material as well. Those yeah. kids were doing math, but they yeah. were using social and emotional skills. That's exactly right. So the last point, there's two big ideas. The second big idea is simply this. I believe we must move from memorization to application as a measure of our success. Yes. So for decades and yay, centuries perhaps, school has been rote. It's been memorize these bits of data and then try to regurgitate it on an exam when I give it to you. We're saying memorization's not bad. We need memories, but we need them less perhaps today than we did even 20, 30 years ago because we've got it in our phone. But what we cannot do without is great application to the knowledge I uh, I had obtained. Absolutely. So I need to get up and do something about what I know. I need to process and apply. I need to practice what you preached, teacher. So I know you all know this, but um, I just think once kids start applying it, the artificial maturity very rapidly becomes authentic maturity. Absolutely. The results are so good that honestly, the hardest part of the whole process is just letting go of the scantron sheet. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> learning to let go of the belief that I've yeah. got to put everything on yeah. on a set of bubbles, I think. Yeah. As soon as you can let that go and just figure out, I'm going to figure out how to grade this experience, yeah. but i got to give them an experience. Yeah, yeah. I would say, Andrew, every teacher I can think of that we work with, and I know I don't, I don't know all of them, but there, there's thousands, but Every teacher I can think of that I know we work with has said the number one thing you've helped us do is not only teacher-student relationship better, but they're actually doing something about life. Yes. Um, in fact, it was students that said your logo should or your mantra should read, ready for real life. Yeah. Remember, we made that change. We got that idea from them. From the students. Yeah. 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 So anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I, I think these are great pieces of advice and actually really simple things that we can begin uh, to implement. But I thought the way we could close maybe is just to have you tell a story about a student yeah. who represents, because here's the thing, we, we often harp on them for not having social yeah. and emotional development. When a kid has it, I mean, it's unbelievable yeah. because what you're doing is you're combining that advanced cognitive growth yes. and biological growth with advanced social and emotional growth. The, the experience that happens as a result of that is phenomenal. And we heard about one of those stories recently. We did. 
So Stephen Nava was a high school student who noticed that his former teacher, uh, Mr. Uh, Villarule, uh, near his neighborhood every day. So he saw his teacher walking around the neighborhood, and he thought, yeah, that's why don't you walk around the neighborhood? Stephen wondered why Mr. V, they called him Mr. V, was hanging around until he looked in his car and noticed a pillow and a blanket in the back seat. Mm. He soon learned that Mr. V's work as a substitute teacher in the Fontana School District wasn't steady, and he was forced to live in his car. He didn't have enough income to live in an apartment or a home. Um, and he had been in his car for nearly eight years. Can you imagine living in your car for eight years? It happens. Yeah. But boy, this kid saw, wait a minute, that's my teacher. I saw him in a classroom as a professional, and now he's here? So Stephen decided he had to do something. Not learn something up here cognitively, yep. but socially, emotionally do something about this situation. Yep, somebody had led that kid well. That's right, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the teacher was the recipient of his social-emotional learning. I love it. So he set up a GoFundMe page online and set a goal to raise $5,000, which is quite a feat for a high school kid. Well, after raising $4,000 the very first day it was posted, <laughs> Stephen knew this could be a great birthday gift for his former teacher, uh, and he knew in the weeks leading up to Mr. B- Mr. V's birthday, so he, he started making all the arrangements. He said, his birthday I know is coming up. I'm going to make some arrangements because I know we're going to reach our goal. So standing alongside the mayor of the city I love it. and several of Mr. V's students, Stephen presented him with a check for $27,000. Unbelievable. Yeah. And this act of kindness blew Mr. V away. You can imagine he was in tears. Um, usually teachers are the ones that are helping students. I mean, let's face it, because yep. they need our help. But the service had gone full circle. And that's what happens with socially, emotionally mature students. He was not artificially mature, Stephen. He was, he was authentic mature. Mm-hmm. And I just believe stu- student, leading students to this kind of mindset could be a game changer for us. We can play a role in turning artificial maturity, as I just said, into authentic maturity for them. I love it. What we're doing is we're casting a vision for them to see their ability to influence the world in a positive way. And in fact, this story that Tim just told uh, of Stephen and Mr. V is actually inside of one of the brand new videos in our middle school edition uh, of our Habitudes for Social Emotional Learning program. If you're looking for a way to communicate maturity, to develop social and emotional skills within these students, um, we've got a really practical way to do it where we simply call them Habitudes. Habitudes are images that form leadership habits and attitudes. We use pictures metaphors and stories to communicate important life principles like social skills and emotional skills. Um, And like I said, we tell really great stories of students who are taking action on the skills that they've developed so that students develop an imagination for what it could look like in their life too. If you want to find out more information about Habitudes for Social Emotional Learning, high school edition or middle school edition, head on over to growingleaders.com slash SEL. That's growingleaders.com slash SEL. You can check it out, watch some videos of it and even try it out for free. We'd love for you to get your hands on that and begin developing these really important skills inside of your students. Well, as always, if you want to rate this podcast, give us five stars wherever you get your podcast. That gets the word out about what we're doing. You can also quite literally get the word out by passing this uh, to a friend, telling somebody you know about this podcast. If you found it uh, helpful, we invite you to do that. If you want to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, people you want us to talk 
talk to uh, or interview, ideas you want us to discuss, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Tim, thank you so much for writing these great books and for talking to us about this really important subject today. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time.